the Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast, the return of the Crystal Palace edition of the Six Pointer Podcast, I should be quick to add. Uh, my name's Matthew and I'm joined by my brother Luke. Luke, how are you? Long time no see on the pod anyway. Oh, I've seen you quite recently, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, just, just on the pod. It's a long time since we've done a Palace pod, like you say, bruv. I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. We're sitting out here in a, in a Shortlands Tavern having a few beers in a, in a balmy summer South London evening. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite nice, mate. Nice way to spend a Monday evening. Uh, yeah, hello to all our listeners. Hope you're all keeping well. Uh, obviously, we've been back to the palace since uh, we've recorded the last pod, which uh, we are shameful to say was at the end of end of May, I think it was, when indeed there was a beer a beer fueled version and uh, edition that that night as well. But yeah, back with you. Uh, don't forget the socials are still running. Six Pointer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter as always. Yeah, let's let's get into it. We've got a lot to talk about actually, given we've had three months without a, a palace focused pod. Obviously, a couple of SBA ones since then. We have done, and, and big up the SPA boys. We'll be uh, keeping in touch with them, and obviously keeping our Danish fans up, um, up to date with what's going on across the North Sea. But we've had a few questions in, Matthew. I believe this is prompted the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thank you to everyone who's got in contact and, and reached out. It's great to hear from you. Some of us saying uh, some, some some of the questions were, "Where the hell are you?" Yeah, which was uh, nice to hear that Not people are, people are missing us. Um, but yeah, we're going to do uh, do probably three parts tonight to enable us to refuel and get a pint in between each part. That's any reason. First part, going to talk about the managerial situation, which obviously when we last parted, Luke was very up in the air. Second part, transfer window. Look at the ins and the outs. Shake it all about. And the third start to the season, how we've done so far, uh, and, and I guess also what we think about the next one of games because they come thick and fast after this international break we're in now. They don't uh, get any easier. They don't get easier at all. So start for the managerial position, and because I'm hosted, I get to ask you the question first off, which Who's is from? which is very nice. Who from? Who's asked this question? No, this is a question from me to oh, start right. with. Question from me, Luke. So we ended up with Patrick uh, Vieira in the uh, in the hot seat when you heard the news. What did you think? I'm not gonna. I'm not going to deny. I was a little bit underwhelmed, I guess. I mean, look, I, I get it, and it's we'll come on to the transfers later in the sense that he's ha- he's got a pull in terms of bringing players in. But there's part of me that was slightly uncomfortable from going from I don't know 40 years plus of football management experience with Roy Hodgson to you know relatively unknown quantity in Patrick Vieira. You know, I, I appreciate he came through what was it, Man City, didn't he? But then they had a couple of years in MLS, and then one in one and a half in in Nice, was it? But I don't know. Obviously, you know, it, it's part of me, you know, being a '90s football follower, was excited to see Patrick Vieira on the sidelines. But also, part of me is sort of quite worried, if I'm honest, that, that Palace have gone such got down such inexperienced route. What do you reckon? Well, like, like you say, if you look at the track record of Hodgson versus Vieira, there's no comparison, right? Um, and that, to be frank, that's one of the reasons he's at Palace, isn't it? You know, he's he's not going to have been there, done it, got the T-shirt at this stage in his career, uh, and and you know, be with us in the way in which the club is club is run. Having said that, we'll come on to talk about it in a minute. They have supported him very very well in the last few weeks. In fact, and, and you, you you know just just got to say it before I forget to say it. You do wonder what would have been the situation if Roy was backed in this same way mm-hmm. with uh, with funding for transfers. But we'll, we'll never know. But yeah, like you, I was a little bit. Given, given the names we've been linked with before, mm. uh, given some of the you know 
belief we had that we were very, very close to two very high caliber experienced managers, that the second in Nuno that was a complete shock to everyone, yeah. apparently, apparently including Palace as well, right? Came out of the blue, didn't it? Um, so, uh, yeah, and then when you heard the news, you're a bit like, well, he was on the list initially, apparently, apparently interviewed him, I don't know if that's true or not, but either way, if he was interviewed or not, he wasn't one of the first choice, and in a position whereby we were moving away from Roy, there was a period in which we thought we had time to deal with that situation and bring someone in that wasn't a, you know, down the list choice. Mm. But yeah, I guess it raises alarm bells, but um, like you say, there's, there's the name there, who no doubt will attract players, there's the fact that he has, you know, the Man City coaching staff is, you know, includes Lombardo and others. Yeah. So, you know, there's Arteta, yeah. Arteta yeah, his credentials there, right? So I'm sure you'd have learned from very, very good people. And then he's had, he's had a go at a couple of clubs a bit further, further afield as well. So we hope, don't we? A couple of bits you mentioned there about, you know, you wonder what would happen if they ever backed Roy. You have to wonder that, you know, Roy was never considered a, a project manager or a long-term manager, maybe, even though he was with us for four seasons probably I don't know if you work it out wasn't he probably Palace's longest serving manager in the last like 20 years or so hadn't he been been in charge of four years probably something like that anyway I'd have to look at it but you have to wonder if, if you know the, the, the thinking was you know we're never going to give that Roy that sort of money because they don't expect him to hang around maybe you know given the fact that he only signed a one year deal last March was it to keep him on for the, for the, um, the following year and the other bit I've completely forgotten so I did that about I think this, there, there is something in the, the sort of the structure of Roy leaving gave us confidence that Palace would do the job that needed to be done yeah. and do it in, in good time I think then when we got it felt like a bit panic stations didn't it because we got towards the start of the season we didn't have a manager right well, sorry just come back to me that's, that's what the other point I was going to mention that you, you, you brought up that Vieira was allegedly um, rumoured to have been interviewed at an early stage and you have to wonder what's the thought process behind a guy who is interviewed very early on it's well documented that Palace then offer the job to other people and then you come back to him there's got this there's, 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 it's an interesting dynamic that isn't there um but I guess that uh, at some stage everyone just needs to be grown-ups and get on with it and you know do the job yeah and uh, you know we were very fortunate with Roy Wirtman in, in the length he was with us I just looked it up go on and you'll be amazed by this well I was amazed by it anyway Steve Cookle is the longest serving Palace manager uh, what, before Roy. Before Roy, I'm saying, 84 to 93? Makes sense, doesn't it? 442 games wow. um, at, 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 the, at the helm, whereas uh, Roy was 162. No, Who's no the one. Dougie, Dougie, 90. Hot, uh, Warnock, 129. Uh, uh, Dowie, 123. Warnock in his first spell, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then Dougie, most recently, I assume, is the closest to him. Yeah. Because Holloway yeah. wasn't here for very long, you think about it, really, was he? No, no, no. Holloway did 46 games. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's one of those ones where we hoped for a more logical and composed and controlled process. This is Palace. It was never going to work out that way. Um, we had a bit, a few hires where we thought we'd nailed our man. Um, and then... Yeah, and then, and then obviously no, no, and that didn't work out. And then we were like, where do we go from here? And whether Vieira was interviewed, whether he wasn't, who knows? But Palace decided to go with him and be fair. As we'll talk about in part two, they, they've backed him. 
you know, he's brought in his own people. And as you've said that, though, he's brought his own people, but he's promoted people like Sean Derry, which I was really pleased to see because yeah. we went to the um, under 23s game. We did. Um, and, 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 and we we saw, I mean, both we both saw clips of Derry's post-match sort of rousing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it, it, it was kind of very, very strong, wasn't it? And you could see he's got credentials, and, and Vieira's clearly seen that, which is positive, right? It's nice as well, isn't it? Like you say, he's brought in his own men in, but he's, like you say, he's integrated some of the Palace uh, blood, I guess, into it. Like you say, promoting Sean Derry. Paddy Max also stepped up to the yeah. under-23s, hasn't he? So Derry's gone up to the, the first-team coach, uh, and Paddy Max gone up to under-23s. I think that's right. And yeah, he has brought his own, own, own people in, you know, people with impressive CVs as well who have, have joined um, Palace as well. Um, so not only sort of off, you know, on the pitches, it's been sort of quite a, a big upheaval as we're, we're coming to talk about in, in terms of the transfers in and outs, but um, off the pitch as well. So yeah, a lot of upheaval at Palace, but you just got to hope that um, things settle down and, and that some sort of uh, smooth outcome results in, uh, in points. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? And this is the thing, other thing, right? You know, Vieira's a winner, right? He's played for AC Milan, he's played for, for Arsenal for many years, Juventus into Milan, Man City as well. Won the World Cup? He's won the World Cup, uh, won the European Cup. So, you know, he knows how to win things. Now, obviously, it does, that doesn't then translate to being a manager in the Premier League, but when you are backed in a way which Palace have backed him, when you have the right support network and team behind you and with you, and to be, fra- to be fair also, where you've got the foundations, that he's walked into a really steady foundation. Yes, he has the upheaval of many players leaving in the summer and needing to bring new ones in. But again, the foundations of the club, obviously the youth setups there, what they're doing with the academy, mm. you know, it must be a really attractive place to come into. And I guess the one sort of hesitation a lot of people might have had is, are they going to back me? Because historically they haven't done. I mean, Hodgson took the nick out of him really with how they backed him or maybe didn't back him. So, you know... It- we just have to hope, don't we, that, that that they've seen enough in the interviews. It obviously won't be. He's rocked up to interview Steve Parrish and that, he, that he's got the job. That's it. He's, he's, he's wowed him. Wowed him. He got the job. Mm. It's not going to be like that. So they'll have done their research. They'll have been informed by football people. You, know, you wonder if Roy might have been involved. Possibly. You don't, you don't know. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And um, yeah, you can only hope that, uh, like I say, it translates to points on the pitch once things settle down. Now we have finished the transfer window, which brings us quite nicely on to part two and another beer I think Matthew I think you turned into host as well yeah so back back on back on part two uh, back with you on part two uh, with another fresh pint of Guinness to talk about Palace's ins and outs over the summer period hello and welcome back to part two of the Six Pointer podcast we are still here in the Shortlands Tavern we've got a fresh pint of Guinness what's a packet of crisps packet of crisps as well two packets of crisps indulgent mate living a high life tonight so uh, as we promised part two is focused on the uh, transfer window over the summer we knew there'd be a, a high turnover over the summer uh, particularly with the, the large number of players leaving um, in that in that period mm-hmm. um, we talked on the, on the last pod in May about who we'd like to stay who we'd like to not like to depart but we wouldn't be who we wouldn't be too fussed to Team. see depart of, of those that, that did leave Luke who was kind of your I guess because we talked about who we like to keep who, who we disappointed that did depart well I'm, I'm looking at the list now I mean I, I look at the list you know in your head good one so given the way that I, I think there's a few still a few holes in Palace's squad I think perhaps um, out wide you've got to look at Andros Townsend I thought he was a player that always you know gave his all bar the sort of maybe the first three months of his Palace career I wasn't overly enamoured of him but after that I felt he was 
a great professional and, and uh, you know a scorer of worldies for Palace, which is always puts yeah. you as a, as a fan favourite. Uh, and yeah, defensively, I think whilst I you know I think it was right that Patrick Van Aanholt left, I do part of me does wonder that he may have sort of flourished in Vieira's system of wing backs and perhaps not doing a lot of defending and maybe focusing more on the, on, the, on the attacking side of things. Gary Cahill was a leader of men. I liked the way he, he conducted himself and um, no doubt he'd be a, a future manager and should he choose to go into that, that down that route. Um, I, Scott Dan, who I felt was, you know, a, not not a Palace legend, but he's uh, certainly cemented himself in Palace Premier League uh, folklore. He was um, a servant, wasn't he? They popped up with, with some important goals. He was a goal machine. Scott Dan was a goal machine. Remember his first couple of seasons with us? He, Everton he, he away. Was, yeah, Everton away. Yeah, so there were a few that I think that was it was good for Palace to get off the books in terms of Sacco. You know, <laughs> I think someone did a, a calculation of how many, how much per minute Palace played him. Um, it was quite. Oh, I don't even want to think about. It. it makes me feel sick. On, on, on the centre back, so we look, we let three very experienced centre backs go, right? And, and none of them were sort of you know young and in inverted commas. Like Sacco's early thirties, and the other other two in Dan and um, Ko, I think, are mid thirties. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I kind of expected. I kind of expected two of the three to go mm-hmm. it was a bit disappointing that Palace didn't give Cahill a year given that you know we'll talk about who's coming in a minute but we signed relatively young centre-backs yeah. and to have someone to come in there as that more experienced head amount of Tomkins does perform to an extent but you know you're talking about Scott Dan and Gary Cahill probably between them have played how many hundreds of Premier League games and, and you're right and those young centre-backs in Joachim Anderson and, and Mark Gay that we brought in you know could learn or, could have learned off a, a, a Gary Cahill or a Scott Dan um and I guess it, it harks back to when Conor Wickham, I remember he signed for us and he talked about how much he really enjoyed training with, with Glenn Murray because he was, you know, obviously a target man and he, he was very experienced, all right, he was slowing down, but it was all about his position and things like that. So, yeah, you, you have to wonder that, um, you know, they could have, you know, not only contributed, you know, on the pitch, but off the pitch as well in training sessions and things like that. But then that's down to Vieira's coaching staff now to fill in those gaps, I guess. I think you're right about Townsend, though, in that, he was one that we did talk about, didn't we? About we would we would have given him another year. Um, I, but fair play to him; he's gone to Everton. He's probably got another good contract. Well, he would have had a good, another good contract, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and 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 you know another good sort of career move for him. So, so fair play to him. And he was again a good servant to us, wasn't he? So fair enough. So I guess I guess I guess in summary, none we were sort of distraught about. Uh, but a couple we would have personally liked to keep ourselves but understanding the decisions in terms of those that came in then and we've got a question actually from Simon McKenzie who's tweeted us and asked us a really timely question actually for this point in the discussion who do we think the most important summer signing has been I'll go first because I'm asking all the questions tonight so I'm, I'm actually going to go with probably a really strange one and one that probably will be at the bottom of a lot of people's queues but I'm going to go for, for Will Hughes because okay. I think that what we sometimes lack in midfield, and this is not the um, direct comparison I was going for, but I'm going to use it anyway, the Michael Hughes-esque. Mm-hmm. I think Luca's lost a bit of that bite mm-hmm. in the last few seasons. Um, and, yep, Czech does it, but I think he looks better in centre-back, if honestly. He does it, does it to an extent. The, the winning the ball back, not so much the Michael Hughes or, or, or the like tackling. Uh, and then the ability to then turn it into the creative side and obviously we've got, we've brought in other players who can do that but I think he provides that sort of more rounded player so and he's someone that I remember we went to see uh, Palace Derby a long time yeah. ago now he was breaking through there wasn't he he was as a 16, kid yeah. and I remember us both being really impressed with him then actually so yeah I'm, I think I, I think he could be really influential for us and for me he's one I'm really excited about go on your go Ooh, I'm torn it's going to be one of the, one of the two centre-backs Joachim Anderson or Mark Gay 
and that's simply because of the, the turnover that we had there. You know, like you say, losing Scott Down, Gary Cahill, uh, Mamadou Sacco. Well, maybe not Mamadou Sacco, but you know, you've, you've got a new centre back pairing or two. You know, fairly young players, albeit you know, Joachim Anderson is 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 fairly experienced in the sense that he's you know came from Copenhagen. I think he went to um, France, didn't he? Leon, obviously, was alone, so he's tasted Premier League football before. Mark Gay, he's never played a minute of Premier League football before he, he joined us, but he has just been an, announced as England on 21s captain, which is which is good. So he's obviously got those leadership qualities. So yeah, one one of those two, I think, um, and I've been impressed with both of them. You know, we're coming to come on to the the games that we've seen so far but it's not beat around the bush you know Palace's problems have been scoring goals so yeah. probably Olison Edward will be French Eddie as he's known will be um, probably the most important one if well, I was to answer Simon's question he's probably the most exciting one for the fans in a sense that you know if you watch some of the clips and stuff on YouTube and have seen some of his goals you know he's a finisher he runs with a ball at pace he's got a trick you're hoping that he's kind of what we need and what we haven't got at the minute up front we've got it in the wings we've got a bit of it in midfield but we haven't we haven't got that as a up front option we've got big men in Benteke Mateta we've got options sort of more wider in Wilf and IU but we haven't got someone who can do a kind of a bit of everything if you like so yeah he's a really exciting one isn't he and, and I know Celtic were really sad to see him go and actually for the money if it's true that it's like 15 odd million 15 rising to 19 apparently is but, what that, but that in Premier League terms is a bargain if it, if it comes off it is I think there's the caveat that well two things you said there he has been playing at Scottish Premiership level so and the Scottish Premiership is, is, is a strange one I don't think it's a, a bad league but I think it's also a league with a lot of extremes so you've got you know two or three really good teams and then you're playing perhaps teams of, of, of League One standard as well you know as probably mid-table Premier League standard so that's that's an interesting one and, and also should be treated with caution in that sense but also I think he was going to go for free I think next summer had to had, 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 had uh, Celtic not cash in him, and I think they had something like a 30% set on clause uh, with Palace Saint Germain where he came through. I mean, you look at his record, like you say, he scored goals, and it's it's habitual, isn't it? Scoring goals, it, it's if he's in that sort of routine, I think he scored something like you know 20 goals for Celtic in the last sort of three seasons or something like that. Celtic fans will tell you he fell off last season a little bit and that's where it coincided with the interest in him sort of backing away there were some bigger clubs than Palace linked with him um, so yeah like you I'm, I'm quite excited to um, have him on board in the number 20 shirt and obviously or 22 22 oh, I've got no idea about shirt numbers these days no idea um, I mean the, the, other, the other sort of end of the pitch is, is interesting isn't it? you mentioned um, Guy in the sense that he hasn't played for, for Chelsea but you know he, he's he's looked really good hasn't he in the first few games mm-hmm. He was all about Rolls-Royce players, but he's really dependable. He's won the ball in the Solid, air, brought the ball out well. I think he's probably looked the, the strongest all-rounder of the two centre-backs, I'd say. Anderson can pick a pass, clearly. I mean, some of the passing he's done, there was one against Chelsea. Died, out for the, yeah, I mean, to have that option in a locker when there's this play at the back ethos that we, we must talk about actually as well, yeah. uh, it's a really positive thing for Palace to have. But, you know, I think... Well, I don't want to, to preempt it, but yeah, there are a couple of goals against West Ham, right? Where I think personally he was off the off the off the pace, if you like, a little bit. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll see that, and um, we'll see how it pans out in the coming games because he's played for Fulham in one season, yeah. But you know the the rigors in week in week out of Premier League are different. So uh, yeah, we, we we will see. We will see. There's one more exciting one we haven't talked about actually. 
Michael Elise, I think you're referring to there, Matthew. Well, actually, it's two more, sorry, yeah. I was, I, yeah, of course, another player, but yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah this, 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 this touch on Michael Elise, because yeah, he, he came off a... Um, the deal came off because he had a release clause in his contract, £8 million from Reading. 19-year-old, uh, lit the championship light for the last couple of seasons. Um, I think it was Don Fyfield that said that he spoke to a couple of Premier League managers who both said, you know, out of all the players, you know, they would have liked to have... Uh, Michael Elise in, in their team so whilst he's come with an injury I think a back injury which he should be back in training now I think on the Copescope TV the last time we saw he was he was back in full training hopefully we might see him after the international break who knows but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what he can he can do with the caveat that he is of course 19 years old um, never played a minute of Premier League football but you know sometimes you know you like Steve Parrish said last week Signings not only add quality in bodies, but they bring a bit of positivity, which is what Palace need after you know a lot of turnover stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You can't forget these are people as well, right? We often talk about them as players on the pitch, but you know they're part of the training pitch, part of the squad, part of the morale, whether it's up or down, right? And bringing new people in um, is, 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 is a good thing, I think, for Palace at this point in time when we have so many departures. So yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah, I, I forget about these because he was done so early in the window. Probably, was it June? I think he was done. Um, so, so, so the other the other player, obviously, and who's got off to a good start is Conor Gallagher. There were a lot of people who wanted him, right? It was, he was he was sort of very much in demand, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, had a good season at West Brom. What do you think about him? Yeah, the rumours were that it was between him and, and Batshuayi last season in terms of the player that we got. Oh, really? Got in from Chelsea, our our, our annual Chelsea loan. <laughs> as it were yeah I, I'm excited by him I, I think it was interesting to see him last season he looked like a bit of a, a James McCarthy you know getting books week in week out and I think he was deployed a little bit more in a defensive position by Sam Allardyce and whoever the hell was the manager before Sam Allardyce at West Brom um, that's going to Village? no I'm probably going back a long way I don't know anyway but it looks like Vieira's going to play him a little bit more attacking a little bit more behind the sort of the front men and look from 45 minutes at West Ham he looked very good didn't it so yeah I think he's he's obviously scoring two goals in your first three games at Palace um, you're going to sort of cement yourself as a bit of a, an exciting prospect for Palace fans so yeah he, he looks like he's got a bit of bite to him he can certainly finish that's for sure so um, yeah very happy to see him in the Palace shirt and then the last sort of player that we haven't talked about is Rory Matthews, goalkeeper, signed from Sunderland. Is it a, yeah. a free, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're guessing he's a Hennessy replacement, right? Uh, sort of a number three. But who knows? You know, he could be one for the future. He's still relatively young, isn't he? So, in, in goalkeeper age. So, who knows? Well, I, I guess so. But also, you know, fans of this podcast, I know why I bang on about the Goalkeepers Union podcast. I was listening to them, and Richard Lee always talks about having the third place position. A third place goalkeeper in the Premier League is almost like one of the hardest positions to either go really young and get an untested kid or you, you, you get you know a, a, an old pro who's on high wages. So I guess Palace has sort of gone for a bit of a middle ground here. He's, I think he's there to make up the numbers a little bit to an extent. You know, you need three goalkeepers. Um, what will be interesting is to see how Vicente Guaita and Jack Butland sort of uh, battle it out now this uh, change of plays come. But that's one part three, Matthew, I think. It is part three. Um, thank you, Simon, for your question. Um, don't forget, you can get touch Six Points Podcast, Instagram, on Twitter. Don't forget the app before that, as Luke's uh, reminding me there. Um, and we'll catch you uh, for part three when we will look at the start to Palace this season uh, and the next few games, which, as we've already said, do not get easier. Hello and welcome back to the Six Pointer Podcast. This is part three 
uh, of tonight's pod, uh, return of the Crystal Palace pod, as we mentioned earlier. Um, we are talking uh, about all things Palace tonight. Uh, we've covered in parts one and two the uh, managerial position and situation which evolved over the summer and uh, in part two the ins and outs over the summer transfer window for, for Palace, which obviously slammed shut as we get in there as well. <laughs> Jim White. As, uh, as Guy Sports would lead us to believe. Uh, was it last Monday? What's last Monday? A week ago, wasn't it? End of August. Last Monday or tu- last, last Tuesday, I think. Right. Yeah, Tuesday evening, yeah. It slammed shut then. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, and there's dogs walking around all over the place. Here, right? Hello. So, the start to the season. Uh, and thank you to Tom for reaching out over Instagram uh, with his question. Uh, which is asking us for our thoughts on the start to the season. Tom says mediocre. Fair play, Luke. What do you think? Ooh. So the Chelsea. This is project game by game, right? Is Tom a harsh critic? Yes and no. So the Chelsea game, I thought we were poor. I really, I really did think we were poor. I thought that all right, you're playing the European champions with a, a new squad, of players that haven't played together before, but I still felt we didn't really show much in terms of attacking intent there. Um, we didn't really put up much opposition. Um, it was flat, wasn't it? It was. For, for an opening game of the season. But you, you've got the caveat that it, it's you didn't expect to get anything out of Chelsea anyway. So, right, you can almost write that one off to an extent. Brentford, I was disappointed not to get more, albeit you have to appreciate the fact that Brentford came and they did a bit of a number on us, I felt, in the, in the way that they played, slow down the play. See, that's where I was disappointed, actually. Go on. I, I felt them doing a number on us as a newly promoted team for us was a little bit embarrassing I agree with the Chelsea side and I actually think Chelsea with that damage limitation to some extent mm-hmm. but getting out of there 3-0 actually yeah, wasn't actually four or five, yeah. yeah it wasn't actually a bad place because they were on fire they peppered us and we offered nothing whatsoever so it was kind of a get through that one get out of there um, the Brentford one was disappointing for me in the sense they did play us they absolutely played us and I felt that they knew how to play Wilf it's not hard right mm. but he needs to deal with that better. Yeah, um, yeah he, he, Will's behaviour during that game was, than, wasn't wasn't great, was it? I he's think better he, than that, though. He's yeah. better than that. He let himself get wound up a few times. And I guess, look, the, the counter-argument to what you're saying would be that Brentford probably are more of a team than Palace were, in the sense that, you know, they had a lot more players that played together last season. Like, I think I think they did, obviously, make some additions in the summer, but I think they probably had more players that actually spent more time on the pitch together than, than Palace did. But I think the thing for me then was, where was the plan B for Palace? OK, Brentford come out, they match you for, you know, your skillful winger, which they know, we know they're going to do anyway. Um, they wasted every second possible with throw-ins anytime anyone got a little tickle under the armpit they went down and did that 17 rolls we, we should have expected that to some extent or if we didn't it was what was the plan B and reacting responding to it and that's the bit that I found so disappointing it's kind of what was the game plan I think it made one sub which in the Roy, Roy era people would have been up in arms about you know so and as a first home game as well for Vieira I was disappointed. Having said that, Brentford came off the back of a really good result against Arsenal. the bottom of the league team. So yeah, maybe not. yeah they, they did. Uh, and then we, we faced uh, a game which I could only follow by listening to BBC London and watching the highlights on Sky Sports News. Oh, the Watford game. The Wat- Watford in the League Cup, which Palace fielded a, a really strong side. Couldn't convert chances. I think Jean-Philippe Meteta, Christian Benteke, Czech Kwaite, Jeffrey Slup were, were, were guilty there of spurning some, some some really good chances for Palace. And ultimately, you know, you get caught with five minutes to go with a goal from um, a sleeping left-back who's just come on. Um, and Tarek Mitchell, a, a person who's had limited numbers uh, of minutes playing on the, uh, well in front of Premier League 
uh, fans. You know, he's he spent most of his Palace career playing behind closed doors, and that's that's a factor to consider. Two-two going against West Ham just before the international break, where the first 45 minutes at half-time, I would have told you I was really disappointed. At full-time, I felt we were probably harshly done by to, to not be taking three points from that game. What were your thoughts, Matthew? Well, well, so we've covered. I mean, first first game of the season, like you say, Chelsea. You know, get out of there uh, alive. <laughs> to some intense purposes the, the Brentford game I was disappointed by because I say a first home game to be played by by them I think was quite naive from our, from our perspective the Watford game like you say didn't, didn't get to didn't get to go didn't get to see it so can't comment on it um, and focus on the league as I say West Ham game the first 45 minutes I thought here we go mm. well, I just we the first 20 minutes we got absolutely act, done over it was embarrassing yeah, it was. Like, we were was. battered yeah. Um, you know, you can't forget West Ham, top of the league, you know, really good start to the season. So you take that into consideration, but I was worried for us at that point. And, you know, I saw tweets and things about people saying this is another Frank De Boer, mm. you know. Um, but the second half, the way that we came back twice mm. was really positive. Obviously, the goals, I mean, the turn for that first goal, is it the first goal? No, no second goal. Second goal, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I hadn't seen much from Gallagher before that point I think he had he had spurts of sort of positivity in the Brentford game well he hit the angle of post and bar about five minutes in didn't he I think uh, apart from that that's it yeah yeah. him and Wilf linked up a couple of times and Wilf moaned at him for not making a few runs there was runs. a lot of that wasn't there a lot of yeah, there was, it was a lot of sort of back and forth between them two um, and hopefully their, their former formidable partnership up the top of the field there um, but yeah like you bruv West Ham I was, I was a bit worried but then like you say I, I, who knows what happened at half time maybe Need to give Vieira credit and his coaches off credit yeah. for, the, for the half-time team talk because Palace came out spurred up and they really did, you know, have a lot more energy in that second half and got that goal. Uh, it was a bit of a scrappy goal, but you know, it came at the right time for Palace about ten minutes into the half and then it was game on. Well, this is this is the thing as well. I have to remember this is not a Frank de Boer part two, in the sense that uh, he's come in. Vieira's come into a very stable Crystal Palace left by Roy and Ray. Uh, the foundations are there, as we said earlier, to build upon. So it's not it's not crisis, and we looked at the start of the season, and you would have said this is a difficult start to the season, right? You know, the next few games we'll touch on in a minute are also very difficult. But if we can pick up enough points to be respectable, that's all we can ask for at the minute. And we've only just made some of these signings. It's going to take time for people to bed in and, and get used to things. So I was saying to Kev, I think in the first half of that um, that West Ham game, that I was worried about Vieira because, like you say, I thought the performances weren't good. I thought to myself, right, what's coming up? Tottenham and Liverpool are coming to them. And then we've got Brighton. I was thinking to myself, if he doesn't win the Brighton game, he, he could be shown the door here. Because if, if, uh, it's, it's more about Palace fans, I think, facing Tottenham and Liverpool. I think that they probably expect something in terms of a, a performance rather than a result against those two teams. So as long as you put up a, a concerted effort to not roll over and just get rolled over by one of the big boys, that's what Palace fans need and that we didn't see that against Chelsea we didn't see it against 45, first 45 against West Ham so I was worried um, that you know shit we've got Tottenham and Liverpool coming up if he doesn't get three, three points against Brighton we'll be what six seven games in at that point to two points probably bottom of the table or, or, or close to it there's going to be a lot of questions asked for Vieira so thank God for that 45 minutes and that spirited performance because Mark Gay could have won it in the 89th minute with that header with a delightful ball in from Conor Gallagher who, like you say, bruv, second goal especially, yeah. the, the, the turn and the finish, the composure, the running 
how good is it to see Palace, Palace fans back in stadiums as well running towards the Palace that's, fans that's wicked oh, right so nice that, that, that's part of me why I wanted a goal I'll be happy with a one all draw against Brentford because we would have got a goal you know we were lucky enough to go to the Arsenal game last year but it was like a pre-season friendly, friendly yeah. to, be, to be frank 6,000 Palace fans there yeah and I, and I think the Brentford game was, was brilliant you know it was fantastic to be there I mean one thing that is notable between the team of this year and last year is possession so you know I think we had over 50% possession against West Ham and Brentford um, I'm not. I'm not sure about Chelsea. Probably, probably didn't against Chelsea, but well, probably about five percent. But, but those two games, I, you know, I remember thinking this is different from Palace. And we we commented a couple of times at the, at the Brentford game about the frustration of consistently playing at the back. Mm. And I do wonder if that may slide at times, and Palace may you know use Anderson and others' ability to put the ball long. But let's face it, right? If we play at the back against the next two games against Tottenham and Liverpool, we risk. A real mess up, and, and you know, quite easily getting beaten. The game games can be done in minutes if we if we are doing that. So I think we have to learn to adapt and, and, and play both ways. I think no matter who you play against, because you're playing at Premier League level, I think you always risk that when you're playing out from the back. You you risk uh, what was it Fraser Forster against yeah. Christian Benteke Southampton two seasons ago, whatever it was. I think you always risk that happening when you try and play out the back, and part of it did frustrate me and you touched on it there I think I turned to you in the Brentford game and I said to you right we've got two men on the edge of our six yard uh, six yard box Brentford are then positioning two men on the edge of the 18 yard box so as soon as the balls play out from the keeper to the, the edge of the six yard box those two men have got pressure on them they've got to lump it why not let the keeper lump it I don't understand it that, that's that's like you I don't, I don't really see where was the plan B there where was the Benteke, the Meteta or, or, or the Kuwaiti coming coming short and, and offering, you know, the big man to flick it on or something like that. You, you, I, I don't see the merit in passing it to your centre-back just for them to hoof it. Well, that's not playing that, out for the back, that, is it? That's the thing. That's where we're going to have to adapt, though, in recognising which ball is on. You know, where is the pass out for the back and the next gradual pass and where is the pass at the back and the lump it? Slash, when, where is the long ball from, from the keeper? And I, I do think that will come. Um, so to answer Tom's question, he's his mediocre. What are you saying? One word. Okay. Oh, you got. Oh, you need my word. That's not a word, though, is it? Of course it is. is that, me, I'm going to say median. Average. That really makes any sense, does it? <laughs> <laughs> so, next three games through September are really important for us, right? So we've got Tottenham, Liverpool, and Brighton. Right. Okay. I'm going to ask the question. If Vieira doesn't get any points out of those, what's the situation? Because, because if, we, if we get Nilpa from those three games, by the end of October, we're sitting on two points. Well, a bit like I alluded to earlier, that's the worst-case scenario, isn't it? You've only got to hope, then, that we put in good performances against Liverpool and Tottenham, or we at least create chances to score goals. And the addition of, of Austin Edouard alongside um, Jean-Philippe Minetetta and Christian Benteke, he's got three attacking options there, and that can be supplemented by Wilfred Zahar, uh, Jordan Ayew, um, Jeffrey Slup can play out there. Obviously, Michael Lise has got to come into the, come back yeah. to the squad. Yeah. Um, uh, Eze as well come back in. So you've got options there. I guess not all of them fit at the moment. But that's a really good point, though. We've got players, we've been senior. I mean, Nathan, Nathan Ferguson well, won't, won't be fit mini, until Christmas. They've saying I think uh, Ferguson, Eze, and Elise We have not seen play yet for Palace. So there are three players who, in the flesh. In the, yeah, who, who potentially can come in and, and, yeah. and you know really add some value to us. All right, you dodged the question a little bit there. So so October then we've got Leicester, Arsenal, Bomber League, Palace versus Newcastle, and I said Palace, and then Man City. That's an away game. 
what are you thinking there? Because that's, that's there's some winnable games there, right? Yeah, I, I think this. It's a difficult one because obviously you've got to play these teams at any time in the season. But yeah, you do get runs more favourable than others. And I guess Palace and Steve Parrish and the board have got to hold their nerve a little bit. And they've got to think, all right, fair enough. If we do get spanked by Tottenham and, and Liverpool, you've got to get at least a point out of Brighton. And then, you know, I think you're going to be on three, three, three points then for the rest of the season to build on that. My worry is that if we lose to Brighton in a way that... A lot of fans got on the back of Roy Hodgson for our, our, our performances against Brighton over the last couple of seasons. That you know we let them dictate the play. I think we were very lucky to get a result at the MX and and uh, lucky to get a, a result at home. You know, uh, was it a draw? I think earlier in the season last season with limited possession and min- limited chances. I think at the Amex it was two shots, two goals for Palace. Very clinical. Matetta flick. And Matetta flick. in, in the 90, 90 minute. I screwed, I screwed that goal winning. I, I, my, my, my cat jumped a mile um, that's for sure uh, yeah I think it's more to do with the performances and the results given the opposition so that's that's the term in October like we say there's some games there Leicester you know it's a difficult game but the Arsenal and Le- Newcastle games it's strange saying it's Arsenal been a, a, a sort of a game we expect to get something from but that's one uh, Newcastle you know our, our friend the pod Davey mm-hmm. has spoken to us recently about uh, they're in turmoil you know real struggling and Man City's obviously one of those ones we get out but then November Wolves, Burnley, Villa, Leeds. So, you know, it, it can turn quite quickly. So by Christmas, we can be in a better position, which gives us something for the second half of the season, which which is where, you know, you don't want to get to Christmas and be in a bad place because that's when people get itchy, right? And well, that, that, and you've got to think that whilst this is probably going to be a Vera evolution rather than a, than, a, than a revolution, that Palace are going to need to supplement the signings that we made in this summer window in January as well I'd imagine you won't see as many coming in you won't see Palace spending 60 odd million like they did in, in this summer out of necessity but you'll see perhaps it is a type player or you know picking the cream of the crop from the championship um, and that's still going to cost yourself sort of 10 to 20 million sort of thing so John Tex has come in as, as the, the new uh, part owner I guess you'd call him of, of Palace shareholder yeah. shareholder whatever you call him investor um that has uh, also helped to bring a bit of a, a light back to Sellers Park with his face bank um, advertising, which is better than JD Sports or, or Green, Nutella, Green Nutella. So I'm, I'm quite so pleased with that. To be fair, yeah. Although I do uh, wish there still was a clock on the middle of the Arthur with some um, red and blue squares and uh, and a bit of a faded Wimbledon uh, badge <laughs> badge towards the end there on the, on the way in. But that's just me being nostalgic. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting and, and you only got to hope that, look, Palace don't need a, another upheaval. You've no. got to hope that Palace hold their nerve, stick with the manager, realise that, you know, come November time, you're going to have a lot more winnable games, October, November time. And look, then if it doesn't happen, then yeah, maybe it's then time to call in the fire brigade, call in Fireman Sam, um, as much as I wouldn't oh, like him in God. again. I mean, you're running out of options of people that can keep you up there, bruv. This is the thing, though, like... You know, we struggled in the summer for options. Where will we go? If, let's not get into it. It's not. That's not. This pod is a. This pod is a positive pod. You know, I think we've got something to build. And like you say, the second half of the West Ham game gives us some positivity. Give us something to think we could. And the you know, build from this. And the and yeah, and you say as the, and the, and those coming through the window. Um, we just got hope that we don't finish the next month, end of September with nothing else on the board because I think the Brighton game is, is really really key and like you say Vieira can you know, buy himself into folklore to some extent and purposes for 
getting a good result there. So, and, and also outplaying Brighton, which is something yeah. the Palace haven't done for a while. Competitive, right? Yeah, so be competitive. Now we've got the attacking options in Odson Edward, in Jean Philippe Matet, who I still think, I still hope he's going to come good. I still think, you know, Palace aren't going to send him back, no. uh, given that he's, he's one of three options up front, albeit you've got players that can fit in. Um, yeah, it's a time to be positive, a time to be excited about being a Palace fan. And look, it starts on Saturday with a 12.30 kickoff against Tottenham. BT, is it? I see BT. Put 12.30 on a Saturday, must be. Hor- horrible time for a football game. Horrible no. time. So, Luke, last question of the pod. It's coming from Russ WWFC on Twitter. He says, and I, I think this is a question, back at Selhurst, amazing, loved it. I think that's a question. I'm going to ask a question. Uh, what, and then Russ finishes with, what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> How did you find it, Luke, being back at Celeste? It was a strange experience at start. I felt that there was obviously some issues with the turnstiles, with Palace going to this no-contact uh, season ticket. or pop- That was strange, because for, for, for those who don't, don't have a season ticket, don't go, we normally had a card, obviously. Mm. We, didn't have, we, did, we didn't get given a new card, or even get asked to use the same card. We were asked, to use, yeah, we were yeah. asked to use a, a thing on our phones or print it out with a barcode right so we, we did the phones right which is the future I, and obviously I think it's the way to go I mean for me personally I mean I won't go into it too much but throughout this lockdown period I don't really carry a wallet around anymore simply because I've got my phone has got everything on it I'm up on the beers tonight thanks very much yeah it was a weird experience to be that close to that many people something we hadn't experienced for 18 months I think I think you know obviously I came close to it in Espia when I was out there again with the boys but after a few beers you seem to forget about everything but the atmosphere was was good I felt, I felt that well well played the the fanatics who who, who put their, their their flags everywhere and made it a bit of a spectacle for red and blue sections throughout the stadium I felt that especially in the first half the, the the atmosphere was really good I thought it died away a little bit perhaps with frustration um, in the second half and also the fact that well I was massively hungover by whatever else's excuse was it, it would take some getting used to uh, and there'll be a lot of people who will be nervous being that close to that close to people and obviously Palace are going to start implementing this whole sort of uh, spot check in terms of you know, you only should enter the ground if you're you've got proof of vaccination or a negative test within the last 72 hours I think maybe um, I think personally I think it's going to be absolute chaos if they do start doing those spot checks it's going to be worse than worse than uh, the Brentford game but it was it was nice to be back. I, I, I did enjoy it. Obviously, standing there with you, brother, and watching football for the first time in eighteen months um, was a highlight for me. Uh, unfortunately, the match didn't, uh, you know, match the uh, the expectation in the atmosphere. But yeah, uh, looking forward to the Tottenham game. That's for sure. It was it was a, it was generally all around good experience, wasn't it? I think for me, my my sort of reflection of the ticketing thing was that turnstiles are no longer relevant. <laughs> really, you know, turnstile. The fact is, you meet someone or use a machine or, or some, or you know, it's a physical thing. Whereas if it's going to be a, a touch screen thing, then you don't really, you know, don't really need one. So that'd be interesting what they do there. Football grounds across the country, they know there. Do you think they're doing this to stop people sharing season tickets? Because obviously, it's harder, for, harder for you to do. That. I mean, obviously, you can print off your your QR code and things like that. But I wonder, obviously, you know, people have adapted in this lockdown period to to more non-contact stuff so there's obviously that element to it but you also think there's a bit from Palace that perhaps they felt from the 18, 16,000 season tickets older that they had that maybe the people, some people were taking the mick of it just think logistically it's so much easier to send someone an email than send them a physical card and then deal with the people who didn't get the cards 
and then lose the cards. You know, this is a pretty foolproof way. The one thing you have to think about here is the uh, older generation who don't. I say, I say older because older than us, because we're not young anymore. You know, who who yeah, who aren't as don't have access to printers or phones. Who yeah, maybe aren't you know versed in the way of doing it that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think. There's something there to consider for for the club. I, I, they, the printing things that came out, but you know, don't if it's a printer, not as a, not as a computer, you know. So they, they they need to think about those things. But you know, in in the thousands of people who go, that's going to be a smaller number. So they need to think about think about how they uh, they help those people, but not exclude them. No, so so all in all, I thought you know there was a bit of a longer queue, but it was okay. Um, I thought the. The whole thing, it felt strange. Mm. The concept of being with that many people was strange, but being in that many people didn't feel strange itself. Mm. And going to the toilet is probably a strange thing for me because in the, in the stand, you're outside, it's felt a bit more normal. Going to the toilet, you're enclosed and it felt a little bit... And this bit is when less. they ask you to mask up and yeah. when you're in the concourse, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. But obviously people are eating and drinking and stuff, so in the concourse, they're not going to. So, yeah, they, that, that was the sort of the, the less familiar side for me and the time it did feel a bit strange. But going to, in the game itself, it felt okay, actually. Um, and all part of sort of hopefully getting back to some sense of normality for everyone, right? As well, and, and routine for us as well, because like you say, brother. I mean, pre this unprecedented, strange eighteen months that we've lived through, you know, it was sort of part of the course. You know, you came to mine, we went to Palace, yeah. we spent an hour and a half shouting and screaming our heads off. Maybe occasionally do a pod on the way home, and then sort of got on the rest of our evenings. It, I don't know about you, but it felt like it took off a bit more the day for me. I think maybe because I was hungover, but also I think perhaps it was quite emotionally draining as well being back at Sellers yeah. and, and having the whole experience. I think we got there really early. We got there about 40 minutes before kickoff. We, like, we've, we've talked about this before in terms of like watching a game on the telly. Like back in the day, right? If Palace was Sky. I was so excited. Hype, it? Yeah. Like, Proper hype. The, the program started at two o'clock. I'd have been on at two o'clock watching the whole thing. You know, I wouldn't have wouldn't have left my seat for the adverts or anything in case it came back on early. The excitement level was ridiculous. I think we've become sanitised to it yeah. in in some ways because of the Premier League. I've been on the telly a lot more. Those those, those things. But you know, I'm not going to lie. Last year, last season, I was switching telly on at two fifty nine. You know, you would have to text me or we'd look on Twitter or Instagram and say, I don't know the team. Yeah. So there wasn't that anticipation. And yeah, I'd literally, you know, stop what I was doing, 2.59, sit down with a cup of tea, watch it. Sometimes just fall asleep. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, go get through the end of the game. We did a pod at the end, but it wasn't quite the same. And I think what did come back last week, as you say, was me and you going together. That that sort of family feel to it was important. And you can see that when you look around Palace, there's so many families, you know, there's... There's their sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. There's grandchildren. There's, there's a lovely family that sits just a few years down from us. You can see there's a granddad, there's a son, and, yeah. there's, and there's a grandson, which is brilliant to see. So, you know, you get those sorts of things as well, which is, yeah, which is important. It's, and, and for a lot of people, it's why they go to the football, is to be with their friends, their family, like we do. So, yeah, it was special to have that back. Obviously, it has to be done in a safe way. People need to observe the rules. As long as we do that, everything, everything will be good. Also, what you said there around sort of we were watching it week in, week out. I wonder if our perception of the game will change as well because we've been used to, you know, when you watch it on TV, you're, you're privy to the fact that you get the opportunity to watch it from every chance from 15 angles and yep. you get the VAR replays. And, yep. you know, you and I spoke before about our frustrations with VAR and, you know, the fact that when you're in the ground, you're almost a second second-class citizen, as it were, as, as a fan, because you're not privy to all the stuff that people at home are seeing. I wonder if our perception will change of the game, given that we've been force-fed 
every angle of, of every opportunity for the last 18 months and now we're literally seeing it one chance and maybe if you're lucky once on the screen but that's it do you know what's interesting is that we're not going to have a diet parallel are we because they changed the rules this year so they are giving like advantage to the attacker and other things aren't they this year so True. whereas last year there was that stop start stop start thing because the rules dictated it now i think there's the wheeling against the chair so why not jokes um I think this year it will be slightly different but yes you're right I mean there wasn't a VR decision against Brentford when we were in the stadium was there there wasn't there was no single VAR was there not no. I thought there might have been one was uh, it not West Ham, against I think Frank and the Eker like uh, the FC the FC Midland player I thought he got went down for a while and there was a VAR check on that nothing that I can remember I think West okay. Ham had one but, but that's the way to go isn't it because we watched the Euros and a lot of people as well football fans will comment the fact that they felt that the VAR situation was handled a lot better in the Euros than it was in the Premier League and I think that's good in the sense that the Premier League officials can learn lessons from that to allow the game to flow to allow the man on the pitch to be more culpable and be more responsibility, responsible because ultimately he's the man that needs to be making the decisions yep. so if there is you know, a borderline decision make him go have a look at it don't have someone in his ear tell him what, 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 what the answer is. Make him make the decision himself. He's, he's the man. He should be again. responsible. Yeah. So if, we, if we're going towards that, then I'm all for it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, a more free-flowing game in the Premier League. Less stop-starts. Less like rugby. Let's, let's, let's give it to proper football. I think if you say, though, you know, the, the nature of, of it last year probably did work because we were all at home. Yeah. And there was no one watching the stadium, so it didn't matter. I think when, we've, when it first came in, I remember being at games thinking, what is going on? Like, yeah. you know, and the delays Angry. to it as well. It was like, oh, you know, it was just frustrating. Whereas now, well, well, yeah, now it seems like they changed the rules. I mean, we'll, see, we'll see, right? Because we don't know, because there's not enough football to see. But so far, so good in the way in which it's developed. So, yeah, f- fingers crossed. Look, Palace, mediocre, okay, median, whatever term we're going to use, start. Um, fingers crossed we, we get out of September with a few points on the board and have something to build on and a couple more games to go to starting on Saturday with Tottenham with a ridiculously early game we're taking another kick off and we can go back to the game and um, you know you hope Tottenham will be a, bring, a, bring a good contingent and uh, it can be a good game of football and Palace can compete well there will be some Tottenham fans Tottenham fans Tottenham players who were involved in the uh, game yesterday that was called off the Brazil-Argentina oh, game yeah. was it so there were a couple I think the Celso and a couple of others who won't be able to play so that's an advantage Palace in that sense so let's, let's hope that as long as every advantage we can get right well, it? exactly. It's like that, that, that you know, Odison Edouard will come off the bench and make an impact. Jean-Philippe Metet can come off the bench and make an impact. It'll be interesting to see how, how Will, Will Hughes and others are, are utilised. You know, Luke is back in training now as well, following, following an bereavement of his family. So, that Palace are getting back. Michael Lise, who we haven't seen, I mentioned earlier, Palace are getting back to a, to a, a full-strength squad or we'll get into the first time possible, to yeah. a full-strength full strength squad so this, this is the thing that I said earlier these, these are like new signings for us because yeah. some have never seen plays but yeah exciting time to be a Palace fan I'm full of positivity not full of positivity about, about having to get up very early to go to the uh, the Tottenham game but um, very early it's a 12.30 kick on mate not a 7 o'clock it's a Saturday alright I, I, I like my lanes um, but, but no seriously though a 12.30 kick off is disruptive to uh, a football fan's day people don't People don't, people don't maybe take into account the fact that the game starts at that time but you know we have to get up and get to the game and do stuff in the morning so Spurs on Saturday fingers crossed for a good performance from Palace uh, as always at Six Pointer Podcast don't forget the app bit at Six Pointer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter follow us like us comment us send us messages get in touch 
and thanks to those that have already yeah, appreciate yeah. your your engagement and we'll be back with you for the Tottenham game post-match reaction uh, after that early kickoff. Uh, until then at Six Pointer Podcast and as always up the palace up the palace up the palace up to palace the Six Pointer Podcast Thank you.